Welcome to the Consilience Podcast, a show that teaches you how to be happy in your body and confident in who you are, defying societal pressures for external validation. I am your host, Shannon Beer, founder of Empower Coaching. Every week, I bring you conversations with experts in body image, compassion, and nutrition to help you find peace with food, feel confident in your body, and engage more fully in your lives and relationships. I'm glad you're here. Let's get into the show. I am really excited to get into today's episode, but before we start, I just wanted to record this intro because I have two things to talk about. Firstly, my audio in this episode is a little bit muffled and a little bit quiet, and I'm not sure whether that was due to my setup on the day or maybe my microphone has been getting bashed around a little bit in my suitcase, Um, but I've tweaked it as much as I can and Chris's audio is absolutely fine. So hopefully you can still enjoy the episode. And the other thing that I wanted to announce is that in the month of October, I am consolidating and finalizing all of the updates to the Body Image Fundamentals training program which will be re-released in November. So if you want to learn about all of the exciting updates and to be notified of the launch when it goes live, then I recommend you get on the waitlist. And when you sign up to the waitlist, you will also receive free, free lessons that your certifications probably didn't teach you all about client motivation and getting sustainable results. So you can sign up in the link in the show notes. You'll get access to the Foundations of Flourishing mini course and be notified for first release when the training program opens back up. So that is everything and I hope you enjoy the episode. Today I am joined by Chris Bell, who is a doctoral researcher at Brunel, looking at the effects of fitness social media on body image and exercise motivation. In addition to this, he has a bachelor's in sports studies from the University of Southampton, as well as a master's in human nutrition from London Metropolitan University. And he also has over a decade of experience working with clients in personal training and nutrition and lifestyle consultancy. And one of the things that I like most about the way that Chris works is that he takes a multidisciplinary approach to wellness with strategies that are actually based in empirical evidence and not in trends or the latest fad. The reason that I wanted to speak with Chris today is to talk more about motivation and the reason that our clients are coming to work with us and how we can learn more about the different qualities of motivation in order to enhance the success that we have with coaching our clients, not just in terms of physical outcomes, but also well-being too. But Chris, before we get into all of that, I wanted to start by asking you, why do you do the work that you do? So I'd say that I, I've never been somebody who's had a sort of a five-year, ten-year plan of I, I knew what I was going to do a long way in advance. I almost feel like I've sort of, through my own interests, I've been led down the route that I've got into. I mean, I can remember at school when you're trying to work out what degree you're going to do. I was always good at sports. I was physically active. I went and did a sports degree. And then... I suppose we'll talk a bit about this later. Uh, growing up being quite, I'm very tall, I'm about over two meters tall. Um, I was very lanky growing up. 
and you get comments on that and things like that. And so as soon as I was able to access the gym, I was straight to the gym at 16, you know, trying to get more muscular. And so I had an interest in the gym. I came out of uni with a sports degree and this gym interest. So I went into personal training. Through doing that, I realized a lot of clients were asking me about nutrition. And I thought, well, I have a sports degree. I have a personal training qualification. But I don't really have any knowledge about nutrition. So I went and did a master's degree in nutrition. Um, and then I think my interest in body image started more around that time. Um, I remember my dissertation for that master's degree. I was looking at how men's diets correlated with uh, their risk of muscle dysmorphia. And then after that, I, I suppose I was uh, using that more with clients as this kind of knowledge. Uh, and I wanted to pursue a PhD. Um, and I managed to find a supervisor who was looking to take somebody on to do some work about uh, body image and social media. And so about three years ago, I started looking at that. And that also wasn't initially going to be just in men. Um, and partly because there's a bit of a, a, a gap, more, there's less research in male body image than in female uh, body image. And that is starting to change, but historically it's been seen as more of a female issue. But certainly in recent decades, it's becoming more and more of an issue for men as well. And then as a, as a part of this PhD, I was looking for a body image PhD, but there was this element of exercise motivation that they wanted to include, which has been something I've really taken to using uh, self-determination theory, which is something I think we're going to go into a little bit more as well. Um, the extent to which your motivations come from within you versus uh, your motivations being sort of imposed upon you from external forces. And so again, that, then that sort of led us up to the to now and I've nearly finished, got about six months to go, sort of just on the last study. Uh, but obviously I'm able to use all this stuff working with clients still on a daily basis as well. I wonder if you can share any findings or trends that you've noticed so far, partly from your research and from personal experience as to what motivates people to exercise more broadly because our clients are coming to us to change their behaviors whether it's exercise or diet related and there can be a number of different reasons as to why an individual might want to do that and as coaches most of us haven't really been educated on theories like self-determination theory or how that applies to the behavior change that we're trying to evoke so perhaps you could shed some light on some of those different forms of motivation hmm. so i suppose we, we can split it up in a few ways the simplest way is to talk about internal and external motivations so what we're ideally looking to develop in people is internal motivations so that's where the, the perceived, like they call it perceived locus of causality comes from within you rather than from an external place. So the most internal form of motivation would be intrinsic motivation, where the thing that you're doing is enjoyable just for itself. You're not doing it for any other reason other than itself. It's, it's inherently interesting or it's inherently enjoyable. I mean, exercise often provides a really good uh, platform for doing something that's enjoyable right a lot of exercise is just quite fun um, and certainly in children you see the, almost the purest form of intrinsic motivation is when sort of you see children playing you, you never have to tell them to do it they're not doing it for any other game they're just doing it because they want to and that is something I think we we often lose as adults that we do less of that but exercise as as fun is a really internal motivation 
unfortunately, that on its own, definitely as adults, is, is rarely enough to get people to dedicate the time and, the, and maybe put money towards it and the effort and the energy just because it's fun. So other internal motivations would be our health. Almost everybody can understand that your mental and physical health is, are things that are valuable to you. And so they're internal motivations that uh, whilst you're doing it for another reason, you're not doing it for itself there, but you're doing it for reasons that are important to you and they've, they've come from you. Someone else doesn't have to tell you that you, you should you have to do this for your health. That's something that usually should come from you. On the other hand, we've got our external motivations, which are often more immediately gratifying because even health, particularly for younger people, you say, oh, you should exercise because it will reduce your risk of heart disease or cancer or something like that. And you're talking to somebody who's 25 or 35 or now like this, this seems like a pretty abstract thing to me. I'm not thinking about my life expectancy or, you know, getting cancer in 30 years time. So it's a little bit abstract. So it's quite hard to hook people in sometimes with that health argument, even though it's something that's deeply satisfying and, and rewarding and, and ultimately sustainable. Some things that are more attractive are often your lose weight, your look a certain way, get more muscular, have a particular body part that looks a certain way. The thing is, those motivations usually are, well, they are, they're all coming from external places. Now, that can be obvious in terms of it can be you're in a, a setting where there's social rewards to look in a, a certain way. You'll be invited to certain things or people will give you validation through comments in person, could be through comments on somewhere like social media. Sometimes it's a little more subtle, it's sort of wider social conditioning in terms of what you're, what you're exposed to. And again, obviously I do a lot of work in social media. Social media, you, 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 know, you, you do have a choice over what you, you look at to some extent, it's complicated, but often if you're bombarded by idealized body imagery on there, then this one as well, compared to old-fashioned media, magazines, TV, you can, you can, it's finite. Once you finish the magazine, it's, it's done. Whereas social media, if you could look at these bodies endlessly, there's so much content there, it never ends. And the fact it's just in your pocket, and it's easily accessible as well. It's something that we look at sort of more often. And so it, it ultimately is probably having a bit of a bigger effect than historically traditional media has. But I mean, that too, films, TV, what you see on adver advertising, both for men and women, we're all exposed to sort of idealized body imagery. Um, and it's, it's difficult to some extent to not internalize the idea that, oh, hang on, that, that sort of body is, is good and better and what I should be trying to achieve. But ultimately, that's not coming from you. And that's not always completely obvious at first, but pe people think, well, I I'm the one who wants to look a certain way. But if you a little bit of interrogation, often you see that why is it that you want to look a certain way? And there's almost always these factors. It could be coming from comments from friends, family, could be to do with the upbringing and this, this wider social conditioning. So that would be a more external motivation. Or the most external motivations are ones where you're just doing something for a reward or to avoid a punishment, where you're just doing something because you're getting paid to do it. Or in an exercise or fitness or weight sort of context, often people will will do things like, well, if I, if I get hit a certain weight, then I'll treat myself to a nice meal out or something like that. But you, this is just carrots and sticks. You're, you're having to use external incentives to move your behavior. And that's ultimately a very external motivation that 
isn't sustainable, isn't very fulfilling, but it is quite powerful at moving people into action in the, in the short term. Yeah, so we're really distinguishing here between forms of motivation that are more controlled and they're coming from external forces and those more intrinsic, internal and non-controlled, more autonomous forms of motivation. And something you said there I think is really important is that people will often have trouble distinguishing between what's internal and what's external, probably because of the way that social influences work in that it's not immediately obvious where your preferences for looking a certain way are coming from. But as you say, when you really dig a little bit deeper and ask yourself some maybe challenging questions i think most people find that the reason that they prefer to have a different body is because of the social validation that may come from that or to avoid the criticism that they're currently getting for how they look knowing that people are often judged by their appearance and i think that can be quite a difficult thing to navigate where it feels like this is my own preference I don't care what other people think whereas in reality it's probably maybe even a mixture but definitely influenced by these perceptions that other people have knowing that we can't even see our appearance half the time unless we're looking in a mirror so you know how important is it to you personally if the whole world was blind would you still care so much um so when it comes to changing our nutrition or our exercise behaviors what is the problem with relying solely or predominantly on external forms of motivation because they can be quite powerful in initiating action what is the potential problem that we may run into if that's our only source yeah so just before i answer that just actually picking on something you said there these internal external motivations there's there's sort of a spectrum um from most internal to most external and what you talked about there in terms of people not always being sure of what's internal and what's external on, on this spectrum of motivation there is this sort of middle ground um, there's something called introjected regulation where you've internalized external ideas basically and that's exactly what you're talking about right where there's this confusion you think that it's your idea but ultimately it has been imposed on you from external places but yeah that 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 does fit on this spectrum it's easy to say that if someone just pays you to do something that's an external force and if you find it really enjoyable that's an internal one but there is this this middle ground but so going back to your your question then the problem with external motivations well there's a few really i mean one is they're not they don't hit at a deeper level i suppose in some ways like appearance itself is is surface level those motivations whilst they can get you to move into action in the short term they're not inherently satisfying or rewarding and i mean often people will will want to change their appearance because they perceive that that will make them more valuable make them more more worthy maybe um when ultimately that's not something that any of us any of us have any it doesn't have any value other than what it is and so you're trying to satisfy a deeper need with with sort of a shallow outcome i suppose so there's that issue that external motivations don't tend to satisfy us on a deeper level and there's there's tons of research out there associating that with with mental health and and satisfaction and 
it, it just doesn't help improve mental health and it doesn't lead to better satisfaction. They can, though, like you say, be, be powerful. And they are often the thing that, that start people off. And you often find that people join the gym or start exercising in order to lose weight or to get a, a better abs or arms or whatever it is. And then upon doing it, maybe when they're there, well, they actually start enjoying it and they start seeing some other health benefits and maybe they become involved socially with other people who are exercising. And then all these other more internal motivations get attached to it. And then it becomes a really a good thing and a good habit and something that they, they keep doing. Um, but that, it did ultimately start because of this external motivation. So it's hard to, you know, and it's, it's impossible for us to live our lives without some external motivation, unfortunately. But if that's, if it's only that, it's just not going to last. And that's what you see with the classic, uh, say, you know, January flow of people towards exercise because they've, they've decided to set an external goal on even starting exercise in January, I suppose, it's a societal idea that that's a time when you should do that. And is this really your idea? And are you doing this for you? Um, and then you see that, you know, gyms and fitness facilities are very busy for a few weeks and then they're not so much. And this is just because these people are motivated by external factors rather than internal ones. There will be a few, though, who, as I've just said, they end up having a few internal motivations that they almost didn't see coming that become attached to this. And then that's what keeps you going in the long term. Um, but yes, the external motivations on their own won't do that. Yeah, absolutely. Although it may be enough to get you started, it's rarely enough to keep you going. Or we find that if you do keep going, there are some consequences in terms of your well-being, typically because when these external motives are the predominant motive, they tend to displace some of our other needs, as you say, that this becomes a bit of a substitute to what we really need, which could be things like relatedness or, you know, these deeper psychological needs. And I think that's one of the issues that I have with endorsing physique goals is not only do I not want to push that narrative that we should all be looking a certain way, which, you know, marginalizes a lot of people, but also because it's usually not what's going to satisfy what someone is truly looking for. And I think that's the key thing. You can waste a lot of time and energy when that's your sole focus, rather than thinking more broadly about some of these other aspects, as you say. And you mentioned that social media can be a big influence over our exercise motivations. So I wonder if we could talk a little bit about fitspiration. So fitness and nutrition related content that is designed to inspire and motivate people to take action. Is it actually effective? If you look at it, mo the, most of it is tapping into these external motivations right it tends to be showing a certain physique as desirable as what you should be looking to achieve as better uh, a good example is as we touched on earlier um, like before and after transformation pictures and any of these sort of inherently show the idea that is the picture on the left is bad and the picture on the, the right is good and that that's a problematic idea right to say that any sort of body is is inherently bad and any is inherently good in addition to that often what we see is that what what someone's had to do to get from a to b has been not particularly healthy and full of disordered eating practices maybe there's some 
uh, sort of steroid and substance abuse going on as well. Uh, very restrictive eating, extreme exercise regimens. Um, and often I, th I think to myself that the, the person on the left was probably overall in a better well-being space than the one on the right. Not always. Not, but this idea that one is, is good and one is bad is, is I think, a, quite a harmful idea. Um, from my research that I've seen, the, the first research I did was showing um, internal and external motivations associated with higher use of fitness social media. But a lot of that can just be explained by the fact that people who are inherently interested in fitness will be following that kind of content. But upon, I, I've also done some interviews where you know got a bit more sort of rich, rich data and able to investigate that in a bit more detail with people. And you see, on the whole, people don't seem to find that actually changes their exercise behavior. And often all it does is lead to people feeling worse about themselves. We've got to say that everyone's different and you can show the same image to 10 people and you'll get 10 different responses. But in terms of it affecting people on a population level of getting people to be active and, and, and exercise more, I don't think it is having having that effect really. Again, it can be the thing that sometimes gets people going, but it won't be the thing that keeps them going. But by and large, I would, I would say it's not having a meaningful effect on, on people's exercise motivation. It's certainly not a meaningful effect on their, not a meaningful effect on their long-term behavior. That was something I did look at, that I saw an association between fitness, social media use and short-term exercise frequency, but no association with long-term exercise behavior, of how long people are exercising over years, uh, which would which would jive with the idea that internal motivations are long-lasting and external motivations will only get you going in the immediate term, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting that um, people, I, I've seen some research around people reporting to feel more motivated, but then their actual exercise behaviours don't change. And if exactly, we're trying yes. to determine whether Fitspiration is successful. It's the behavior change that we're trying to evoke, and therefore that would be our measurement of success. And I find that often many of the people posting Fitspiration are those that work in the industry and they're using it as a form of content marketing to attract clients. And if people viewing that, knowing that the majority of people coming to our services are more likely to be dissatisfied with their appearance than not when it's reported as their primary source of motivation that that kind of person is more likely to feel discouraged by that kind of content which then doesn't really make sense for business owners to be promoting standard fitspiration that invites comparison if their goal is to attract clients because you want them to feel inspired and empowered in order to enroll in your services or your offers that you're trying to promote. So I think that that's really interesting because we're often taught in these like fitness business mentorships to use before and afters and to use, you know, what I eat in a day to lose fat type posts that actually probably aren't that motivating so i think that that's really insightful then to think about the kind of content that we are posting and how can we encourage people to feel more driven using what we know about self-determination theory so i wonder if you have as a side note any practical advice for types of content that may be more likely to evoke more internal forms of motivation yeah 
Well, I, th I think one thing, this goes with just the fitness industry and what sells, and also it goes with social media. A problem that we're, we're kind of battling against here is that those things that are, those external motivations and things like um, bodies that are, of, are very noticeable, they catch the eye and they're the things that when, when someone's scrolling, that makes them stop. Um, and that's what gets rewarded on social media really is, is look time, um, anything that's shocking really or surprising or hedonistically um, like valuable is what works on social media better which is all the things that aren't giving us any any deeper meaning really but it it is what what works and you'll see people with you know huge, huge followings um, and people make a, a huge amount of money from from this kind of thing but it's because there's, there's no sort of uh, evil man pulling the strings but the way that the, the algorithm has worked out what people spend their time on on social media it is things that immediately catch the eye um, and so as sort of researchers looking into psychology and trying to look at you know, deeper motivations and help people's well-being to an extent where that's a, a barrier for, for people like us I suppose to, towards success if, if, if you're trying to sort of compete against all these more um, externally motivated um, body salient salespeople but in terms of what's more in, internally motivating it, it, it I think it's trying to get people to think and to ask questions of themselves because those sort of again those sort of externally motivating bodies is almost a way of you're trying to control other people you're going like look what you could have look this is good and you you know that's a way of trying to pull somebody in a direction they're not they're almost not going there of their they're not internally motivated to go there themselves but this idea that this will be societally rewarding, this will be desirable, this is something you should want. That's someone externally motivating you into action. Whereas I prefer to try and come from the point of view of, you know, getting somebody to interrogate why they want to do something or what what motivates that behavior or what's really, what, what, are, their, what, what are your values, I suppose? I mean, if, if you ask people really what's meaningful and what's valuable to them, um, is is a particular body type meaningful and valuable i mean in terms of a body that helps you to do all the things that you want to do and helps you to be healthy i think most people would value that but in terms of something that is just a, an object how how value how meaningful is that really and then once we can start thinking about what's actually what do you value what's meaningful to you i think that's a way that we can really tap into somebody's internal motivations towards anything and exercise can absolutely be something where it's meaningful and valuable for your mental health and for your physical health and for just your overall well-being and something that's, that's enjoyable. But yeah, that, so that, that's the approach I try to take. But it's, diff it's difficult to get people to stop and look at something about that when then when you've got like six-pack <laughs> bikini, you know? Yeah, it really is a challenge. And I think that when you are able to capture the attention of someone not using these other measures you know where it's a little bit more uh, thought-provoking something that encourages the reader to reflect internally that's when we start to see more effective content even though it's not as easy to catch attention it tends to be more effective in actually changing perception emotion and behavior which then i would hypothesize would encourage someone to keep tabs 
on that page you know if i think about the way that i use social media i personally don't really scroll i would just watch a few stories of certain people that i know i want to catch up on and i think that once you've got that connection it's then easier to target someone i guess and provide something that's actually helpful but you made an interesting observation that you know part of evoking more internal forms of motivation can be by really clarifying our values. And I've noticed that many clients will attach a value to how their body looks. So for example, they'll say, I really value discipline. Therefore, I want my body to reflect that. And that means being lean and muscular. And the way that you put it there, I think really helps to clarify in that it's more so about thinking does your body support the life that you want and the things that you value rather than does it look a certain way? Because I think those ideas that a lean body is a disciplined person, those are culturally and socially imposed upon us because you can achieve that physique through surgery, through different procedures, doesn't automatically mean anything, but we've learned to associate certain values with certain appearances. And I think that can be quite difficult for people to really distinguish between. And um, so I wonder if you had any thoughts to add to that. Yes, so, well, firstly, I suppose the discipline, for example, could come in many domains, couldn't it? None of us are absolute experts in, in, in everything, I suppose. Um, but th this, what you've just talked about was something that certainly came up in, uh, in the qualitative research I did. The idea of what does a body mean? What does a certain body look mean? Because in and of itself, it doesn't mean much. But I mean, for men in particular, a lean and muscular body signifies, as you say, something like discipline. For some people, they say it can signify uh, things like wealth and status. Um, I mean, this goes back to some sociology sort of bits. Um, the idea of a slender female body as well. It's the idea that you, you can afford to eat healthily and spend time and money on your body through, through gyms and expensive food and, and, and that kind of thing. And it sort of is a way of, of signifying a distinction. Um, sometimes in class as well. And, and I mean, you, you see for, for many reasons that in developed countries like the UK, Europe, US, sort of the lower socioeconomic status, people with less wealth, there's a high proportion of overweight people in those groups and, and less overweight people in sort of higher socioeconomic statuses. And there's, there's a number of reasons for that in terms of, you know, price of healthy food and not and, and time and access to exercise but it's it's a way sometimes that people use to try and distinguish themselves from a social status uh, point of view but i mean again really when you think about that it's 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 nonsense and obviously you'll have really overweight high socioeconomic status people and, and very athletic low socioeconomic status people but it's this idea that a body means more than what it is and where does that come from again that's been imposed to us and social media is a place that really does do this as well the idea that we, we talked about like a before um, and an after uh, or just the setting that you'll see bodies in you'll often see these bodies I, I see this both of men and women where they'll be in exotic locations they'll be in expensive places they'll be with a expensive car and the, the body goes with this lifestyle and it's this idea that that body means you're you're doing well uh, maybe it means that you know you've, you've got it together 
for some reason it might mean that you're you're happy it, it, but it certainly for a lot of people signifies more than what it is and again when you interrogate that it's it, that's not real that's just an idea that's been Im imposed upon you same with films and 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 that's something that's gotten worse i suppose over time the heroes now certainly the male heroes are always muscular now whereas if you go back 30 40 years sort of pre-1980s they didn't have that that sort of look and so now there's this idea that oh if, if i'm a successful hero i'm going to have a, a muscular body as a, as a man um we have a similar thing for women with a slim body and more and more so now a toned body for women as well which it's even more difficult to achieve it's not good enough just to not be overweight now you've got to have you know a bomb you've got to have toned arms and, and this kind of thing as well i've forgotten what your question was now i've sort of gone off on a bit of a yeah just thinking about the associations we make with a lean and muscular physique so you mentioned power status discipline where it's quite interesting because if you think about the example of discipline you know that's actually we're talking about our behaviors you know, so the discipline isn't reflected in how you look, it's reflected in what you do. And as you said, that can transfer across multiple domains. If you truly valued discipline, you'd also value being disciplined in your relationships and, you know, different areas of your life, being disciplined in your career and so on. And I think when people are divorced from their values or their values aren't salient in their lives, that they often get sidetracked by hyper-focusing on a goal that doesn't really align with what they truly want and that is one of the things that I aim to speak out about you know it's not just the fact that oh, okay you know maybe we should care less about how we look but also whilst you're pursuing that goal you're probably not some oftentimes people find that something's missing because of the amount of time and energy in, that they dedicate to that so I wanted to ask when somebody's appearance concerns are really salient and they are coming to us with a lot of interjected motivation maybe their partner doesn't find them attractive anymore maybe they want to seek approval from other people and they've got this appearance related goal how can we over the course of coaching help them to develop more internal motives for making these behavior changes yeah so i, I think it, it, it comes down to the, this why is it that, that you think that would be the thing that that, that solves your, your problem and as you've alluded to there more often than not seeking uh, an, an appearance related goal is almost like a, uh, a substitute goal for something that's a bit more difficult or a bit harder to control or an, another need that you that you require I think you, I mean you briefly touched on basic psychological needs before so these ideas where we have uh, autonomy, the idea that we we need our, our, to feel like we're in charge of what we do and that that's not being imposed on us from other people or external places, which I suppose we've talked about to some extent already. But if, that's, if any of these needs are being frustrated, then something like seeking an appearance goal may be a way that we try to, uh, to satisfy them. So we have autonomy. We have uh, competence, the idea that we need to be effective and we, we are able to do the things we want to do. Now, competence is one that can be satisfied quite nicely through exercise because if you see yourself improving at something, it's inherently satisfying. The problem with appearance-related goals is they're more difficult to, to measure. 
unless we, you know, and then people get into this obsessive idea of literally measuring. But in the gym, obviously, if you're lifting more weights or you're running for longer or, you know, you're playing a sport and, you, and your skill gets better, it, it's inherently satisfying. So that's quite a nice way of satisfying your competence. Although, again, this outside of exercise, you know, this often goes in workplaces and, and other ways where we feel like we can be effectual. Um, and then this last one is relatedness, the last need. So we've got autonomy, competence, relatedness. And that's a sense of belonging and a, uh, a meaningful connection with other people. And the point here that is it's, it's got to be somewhat meaningful. Small talk and surface level interactions don't really satisfy this need of relatedness, but more meaningful relationships do. That's one definitely where often if there's a frustration of relatedness, and that, that I've seen this and there's research out there about this, that is somewhere where often we will attempt to attain a certain body because we feel like that will help us to, to get this relatedness sort of secondarily. You know, if I have a certain body, then it'll be easier to find a partner. People will respect me more. People will like me more. I'll get more validation. But if you're any sort of extra attention that you're getting because of an appearance is ultimately going to be surface level, right? It's not going to satisfy that relatedness at a, at a deeper level. Again, I've forgotten your question now. I've gone from my rambling. Um, yeah, I wanted to pick up on what you were saying because that would be my personal hypothesis from what I've noticed from working with clients is the relatedness seems to be one of the big needs that is frustrated and that's what the appearance related goal seems to be a substitute for as you say either it's about attracting a significant other or oftentimes just about that status and increasing your social rank whereas if you think about a secure individual who has more of an internal sense of worth that's not contingent upon these other things that is experiencing supportive relationships in their life they are less prone to internalizing appearance pressures in the first place and we know this from the literature looking at body appreciation from others and the links to intuitive eating we know this from literature on the functions of disordered eating behaviors which can be reducing concerns about shape and weight as well as managing relationships and communicating something to someone else we can even look on the side of disorders like anorexia nervosa where the weight loss is significant enough to evoke concern from other people and that is often part of the motivation for controlling behaviors as well so it really is interesting how many of us are perhaps experiencing I guess gaps in our relationships that we're trying to fill by looking a certain way and we think that that is the substitute and I'd say again that's one of my primary concerns with appearance related goals is that it's not going to help you to experience more supportive satisfying and fulfilling relationships partly because appearance ideals are often changing and becoming more extreme and difficult to attain but also the lengths we'd have to go to are not conducive for many people to living like their happiest and healthiest lives. And then lastly, our bodies are inevitably going to age and change. And however you look now, however attractive that is um, considered to be by some people, that's fleeting at best. So do you really want to 
pin all of your, I guess, sources of relatedness on something that isn't really designed to achieve that need anyway, but also is fleeting at best. Um, so that's kind of what you were getting at there with how typically we set more external goals when our needs are frustrated, which I guess brings us on to one of the questions, because I know that you also have some research around social comparisons, unconditional self-worth as well. And I wonder if that's relevant here. Why, in your opinion, or firstly, what is unconditional self-worth and why might it be worth developing? Yeah, okay. So... I'm going to just start with the social comparison and then I'll circle it back to the... Because that sort of relates to what we were just talking about there. Social comparison often drives appearance concerns, right? Uh, but social comparison can occur in any domain in which... And it happens more so in things where you feel unsure about yourself for that. So if, if, you're, if you're a little less secure about your intelligence, for example, then you might look to see how other people have like when you you know at school how they how they've done on a test compared to yourself or or if you're insecure about how much money you're earning you start comparing yourself to how what the salaries of your peers and that kind of thing and appearance is an obvious one of this and social media obviously drives this because we're presented with bodies that are supposedly ideal and then they they hold up a sort of distorted mirror but the point here is that the comparison occurs when you're not feeling so sure about yourself so it's inherently linked with anxiety so you won't find yourself comparing yourself in situations where you're comfortable i'm sure everyone finds this if you're in a setting where you feel very comfortable and competent maybe it's a job that you're you've good at and you've done for a while or if you're just with close friends or with your family you probably don't find yourself going how, how am i compared to you know my mom or my best mate at this and that and that because you're in a comfortable setting where you don't feel insecure but as soon as you do feel this insecurity that drives a social comparison now that's i suppose we can go on to talking about uh, conditional and unconditional self-worth if your self-worth is conditional on something then that's when you're you're, you're gonna seek to compare because you're, you're you're checking to see am i good enough effectively I would almost say that conditional self-worth is not self-worth at all. Unconditional self-worth is something that we ideally all have that we feel that we are enough as we are. As a, as a human being, you are, you are valuable and, and you are enough. And that doesn't mean that therefore you just lay in bed all day, but you wouldn't want to do that anyway. But you do things because you, you want to do them um, and, you, and you're going to strive for growth. You don't need to do things in order to be worthy. That, when we've attached that much value to something, then that's extremely stressful, causes a lot of anxiety. And it, it's just an idea that, that, that's wrong, really. And then this, this idea that, therefore, I have to be, to be valuable, I have to look a certain way, earn a certain amount of money, perform a certain level of work, whatever it is. If you're attaching that much value, if, if your sense of self is attached to an external outcome, then... That, that's just a game you're, you're, you're never going to win. You're going to be constantly anxious. You're going to be pulled around by external forces all over the place. And even, even if you achieve that thing, then there's a, there's a short-term satisfaction before you then feel, oh, well, now I need to do this, this next thing. And it, it, you're, you're on this treadmill, this endless cycle. 
Now, easier said than done, but if we come back to these internal motivations, what are, what are my values, what is inherently meaningful to me, if, if we can be sort of self-determined, we have this idea that I am, I am enough as I am, but what do I want to do? That's where we want to go from rather than I need to do something in order to be, to be worthy. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you made those points because it's very much aligned with my coaching model in that I talk about compassion, positive body image and unconditional self-acceptance, which is coming from, I don't know if you're familiar with REBT, but their philosophy against self-esteem in that it's often conditional. And the paradox being those with high self-esteem don't need it because they're not seeking to boost their worth through achievements because if we do do that and our self-worth is contingent upon success you know achieving certain things is as you say even if you do succeed and hit that goal the benchmark then moves or you're anxious to maintain that result because it's so important and we can think about that in terms of appearance related goals i've worked with many clients who previously lived in a larger body lost weight of their own accord and then developed very rigid habits in order to maintain that body composition because they were so fearful of going back to where they started and being in a larger body again and that can be problematic so if your worth is contingent upon this appearance goal even if you achieve it you're probably not going to be as satisfied as you would think and are then potentially running the risk of being anxious to constantly maintain it and when it comes to something as complex as body weight regulation and the way that our eating behaviors work and the way that we like to live our lives that soon becomes very limiting if you are attached to these goals so heavily but what i really like about what you said is you then distinguish between why we may want to pursue goals in the first place because people hear self-acceptance and they think oh well, why would i bother with anything if i just liked myself the way that i was like because you have desires because you have needs to satisfy like curiosity and challenge you know an enjoyment of life you can set goals for those reasons which are likely to be far more fulfilling than not setting goals at all or setting goals for unhelpful reasons so i think that was a really good distinction that you made there yeah yeah well exactly what what, what you said there and, and you you'll have met these people i've worked with them i'm sure for some people there they live their life based off I need to do this in order to be worthy. And, and, and that idea of, well, if you were just, if I was just enough, what would I do? And they've never even maybe considered that. They've just been battered around by what they feel they, they have to do, they should do. And of course, this, a lot of this comes back to, to upbringing and you see a lot of stuff. There's a lot of research out there about conditional regard uh, in parenting and at schools and the, and the idea of, as a child, if you're, if you're given more love, attention, praise for doing certain things and, and less for other things, you internalize this idea that I have to do something in order to be worthy and to gain attention. And it, it, it can be done, but it's very difficult to unwire that um, going into adulthood. And, and you'll, you'll always see that people who, as adults who act like this, if you dig a little bit into their, their background, it's it's come from this has been sort of imposed on them from quite an early age um and it's 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 a, it's a real shame it's and it leads to a lifetime of of anxiety but if you can kind of try and break free from that and like you said start from a place that i'm good enough as i am 
and I like this distinction between what do I want to do versus what do I need to do. If you feel like you need to do it, then it sounds like there's something that's too deeply attached to this external outcome. Whereas what do I want to do that? Then you're coming from a place of being self-determined. Um, and like you said, of curiosity, growth and achievement and fulfillment rather than to avoid negative emotion or to hope that others will accept you. I mean, the idea that you need to do something to be worthy is, is just wrong. Yeah, it's wrong, but also understandable, as you say, why we may learn that that's true, because perhaps we have been treated that way in our upbringing, you know, by certain people in our lives. Um, something that we distinguish between in REBT is demands and preferences. You know, I must lose weight in order to be happy versus I would prefer to live in a smaller body, but I can learn to be happy in my present day. You know, so really distinguishing between what you feel like you need and something that you want, because then when you're less attached to, I guess, I don't want to say less attached to the goal because you're still motivated to achieve that goal, you know, and it's coming from a desire, an internal thing, but you're less likely to place too much stock in that goal. So when you experience a setback, you're not going to completely self-sabotage or break down because you've got the, the skill set to recognize, okay, well, I didn't need this in the first place. It's something that I wanted, but I can live a you know happy life without it. So I think that having that distinct distinction there between is this a demand or a preference can be really helpful for people. I wonder then if you have any advice for coaches who may be listening, who are working with clients who are highly motivated to achieve their physique goal. And it seems to be an introjected form of motivation predominantly and that it seems to be more of a demand in that they're placing their worth in that goal too. How do we begin to, to navigate some of that? It's difficult. And, and, and it's, of course, it's also, you know, if you're a coach and someone is paying you for this, you're not always in a position where you want to say, uh, well, actually, I don't, I don't think you should do, do that because maybe they'll just go and find somebody else, you know, and, and that's, that, that's your business. But I think, I, I do think often it has to be done sort of soft, softly to an extent. I think if you, if somebody is really externally motivated and they're convinced that you know I, I want to achieve this body and and if you if you try and just work against that too hard the first thing they'll do is just you know double down and be very defensive about it. I think it's this it's trying to work away at helping them to introspect about why it is that they they, they want that and things that we've talked about. Um and often, you know, things, it's, it's not usually as simple as your motivation for doing something is purely internal or external. And usually there's some mixture of both. If you can break it down, you realize there is no internal motivation for this, then people will, will, will lose interest in it. But I suppose in terms of them going forward long term, you want them to think about that you don't want them to end up in this situation again, I suppose. Um, and so again, it's it's talking to them about well, wh why is it that you that you'd like to achieve that, and then what, what? Okay, and what what would that mean? What would what would be the point? Is that something that's that's meaningful to you, or is that just something that you you're, are you doing this for you? This is a question. Is all your goals really yours? That that that's something I often speak to people. You know, 
people have a goal, but they realise that, hang on, I've just got that goal because I've sort of internalised this idea that that's what I should be doing, but that's not actually what I, what I really want to do. This stuff does take cognitive effort, though, and, you know, a lot of us, excuse me, we have busy lives, people have families and work, and how much cognitive effort are they going to put into their sort of fitness leisure time? Often that's a time where they almost switch their brain off and they go, well, I've just got this, this sort of sleepwalking. But it can be damaging if that is being overly obsessed with a, with a physique goal or they're attaching some of their worth to that. But just a, a little bit of cognitive effort towards why am I, am I pursuing that? And often the goal won't necessarily, it, it won't necessarily disappear, but it'll probably change somewhat. And a lot of, you know, a lot of people have a different journey with how they how they go through fitness and, and again they may start with a very appearance focused goal and I would even say for myself you know I first went to a gym nearly 20 years ago because I just wanted to be more muscular and I still go and lift weights a couple of times a week and I wouldn't say that I don't care at all about the way I look but I would say the thing that's kept me going and the thing that's more inherently satisfying and meaningful is I satisfy my competence by going there. I find it enjoyable. I satisfy my relatedness by being there as well. Um, and, I, and nowadays, I feel like it's it's something that is meaningful for me to exercise regularly. But I still I still like to look a bit athletic, and 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 that's okay. I think also sometimes it's good to say well, you shouldn't care at all. It doesn't it doesn't need it doesn't matter at all. But it's again, it's do you want that or do you need it? Yeah. No, I think that's really helpful knowing that ultimately it's within our interest as business owners and our clients' interest for their own well-being to evoke gently these more internal forms of motivation so that the client is able to sustain these behaviours and i.e. is less likely to get frustrated, throw in the towel and cancel coaching, for example. So it really is within the client's interest in terms of their wellness, but also you as a coach in wanting to run a sustainable business that we learn how to validate someone's desires to want to look different whilst also asking some of those more introspective questions about what they really value why these goals are important to them and directing their attention to more satisfying forms of progress like the strength development the mastery and progression all the benefits to health and how that relates to other areas of their life well, thank you for joining me today. For anyone who is interested in learning more about your work and some of the research that you're conducting, where would be a good place for them to find you? Uh, probably most active on Instagram is probably the, the, the best. Yeah, I think at the moment it's Chris underscore Bell underscore PT. Um, that would that would be the, that would be the first place to go, and then from there there would there would be links if I have any uh, any papers being published or any articles, to, things like that. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I will leave a link to your account in the show notes. And once again, thank you for joining me and sharing your expertise. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Consilience podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do share it with someone who will find it helpful. And don't forget to leave a five-star rating and quick review. The topics I speak about aren't particularly trendy or sexy, so this makes a huge difference. And don't forget to join the Empowered Edit, a weekly newsletter with evidence-based tools and strategies to help you build your health and confidence. You will get first access to everything that's going on and insights that I don't share anywhere else. The link will be in the show notes. 
And until then, I will catch you in the next episode.